morning, everybody. So let's do the visualization. Remembering we're in the presence of the Buddhist Bodhisattvas and all the sentient beings around us in human form. And you know, we have faith in the Buddha Dharma Sangha and we know them to be excellent objects of refuge. And so we want to uh, imagine leading everybody else in that direction too, so that people can find the path to liberation and full awakening. So here we are in samsara, living with other sentient beings who are both incredibly kind and also very confused. Both of those together being qualities of an individual. And so sometimes the confused people may say or do things that we find absolutely appalling. And that could be because of our personal judgmental mind that we need to uh, relax a bit and see that there's a variety of um, takes on things to accept that some people uh, have different viewpoints than we do, and to also accept that some people, many people, will create negativity through their actions. So instead of being horrified or getting bent out of shape because of this, to realize this is the nature of samsara. And our job is to have a clear mind, to know our refuge, to know why we're following the path that we're following, and to know our ethical values and our precepts. and to know that this is a good path for us, no matter what other people say. And also to know that we don't need to judge other people for their ideas or their actions, even though they may be non-virtuous. but to realize that the, the everybody, all of us, ourselves and others, here in samsara are basically karmic bubbles. And we won't be who we are presently 
for so long. You will die and take rebirth. Another situation with different aggregates. And so, to not solidify who people are now, to recognize that they can change and will change, that they have the Buddha potential. And if we think like that, then we can see, we can have an optimistic attitude and prevent a judgmental one. And that helps us to have an impartial relationship with everybody. And the equanimity or impartiality opens the door to have genuine love and compassion for sentient beings, all of them. And that opens the door to having the bodhicitta motivation which is based on love, compassion, and altruism for each and every sentient being, omitting none of them. And that's the motivation we want to cultivate at the beginning today. So did you get the sequence I was talking about there of, uh, you know, knowing that there's so many different kinds of human beings with different potentials, different interests, different ways of looking at things. And uh, we can accept that. In fact, we have to accept it if we're going to be effective as bodhisattvas. Because if we don't accept the diversity of sentient beings, uh, how are we going to help them? If we're judgmental towards them and think everybody should have the same interests, the same way of practice, the same ethical values, the same everything as I do, then, you know, we're going to wind up boxing ourselves off from others and having a very kind of negative, judgmental mind 
towards everybody who doesn't value what we value or think and act the way we would like them to think or act. And if we're judgmental towards somebody, how in the world are we going to help them? You know, that's, that's not going to work. Because that judgmentalness just comes through and permeates everything. Yeah. At the same time, we have to be able to distinguish virtue from non-virtue, correct views from wrong views, you know, and not let the non-virtuous actions or the wrong views of others influence us when we are clear about our own refuge and our own values and our own ethical standards. Yeah. They can, their ideas can influence us uh, sometimes when we aren't clear what we believe in. Yeah, when we're not clear, then somebody says something. Oh, yeah, they, they, they think that, well, that might be good. Maybe I can do that too. And we get very confused, you know, and may wind up following uh, someone or something that isn't so good for us. Um, alternatively, we may uh, get, you know, we may just say, well, I want everybody to like me, so uh, I won't have any discriminating wisdom about what they're saying and what they're doing. It's all okay because I, I want everybody to like me and I can't say anything that's going to uh, disturb them, yeah, by calling something out. Huh? So you can see, you know, either when we're confused or when we're attached to reputation and being liked and all, uh, you know, then our uh, then we yeah, our confusion just compounds and we can't stick to um, what we know we need to do to actualize our own spiritual goals. Okay, so we need to get clear on those kinds of things and then be able to look at the whole diversity of sentient beings with their right views and their wrong views and their uh, good behavior and their bad behavior and some of them like us and some of them don't. And... uh, to be able to look at that and have an impartial attitude towards all these beings, not favoring the ones who agree with us and disfavoring the ones who don't. And how do we get to that state of equanimity? What I find very helpful um, is to first, you know, we have to get rid of the judgmental attitude. We can't create equanimity when we have judgment in the mind. It's impossible, yeah? So what helps me get rid of the judgment is to say, this is samsara, 
what I'm seeing, what I'm witnessing is samsara in full display. What else did I expect from samsara? You know, of course, all this chaos is going to go on. Yeah, that's one thing. And then just to recognize that whoever I'm judging now is not going to always be that person who always thinks in that way and always does those actions forever, you know? They, they're they a product of their karma now. That's what I mean by people being karmic bubbles, you know? They have that rebirth. They're living in those circumstances right now. Yeah, but they will die. They will take other aggregates. Different karma may ripen. They will have different circumstances. Perhaps their virtuous attitudes, virtuous behavior may come out more. So I should have that. I can have that, not should, but I can have that optimistic view about others. And and, uh, not reify them into some truly existent person who's always going to be like that, and I disapprove of that. Okay? But to see they can and will change. And then in addition to that, that they have the Buddha potential. They have the pure nature of the mind. They will always have that that nature of the mind. And when the circumstances are ripe, then they can use it to realize the path and and progress. So nobody is forever evil or to be abandoned or, you know, put them in a box and throw away the key or throw them out the window and forget about them. We can't do that to any living being. Okay, So that helps us to have an attitude of equanimity. And if we look at the bodhicitta motivations, the the whole sequence to develop bodhicitta is based on equanimity, you know, being free of bias, attachment, and anger towards other living beings. And then that equanimity opens the door where we can see sentient beings' kindness, where we can recognize their non-virtue and confusion, and know that they have the Buddha potential, and want the best for them, want them to be free of, of all their suffering, compassion, wanting them to have all happiness, love, yeah, and we can, you know, cultivate those feelings for all the sentient beings equally. Yeah. And then when we can do that, then, you know, deciding that we want to become a Buddha in order to, you know, enact our love and compassion and help them to have happiness, help them to be free of suffering, then we can actually generate bodhicitta. Yeah? So we, we, there's a lot of things to look at 
uh, on the way to generating bodhicitta and really work with in, in our minds. Because, you know, we ourselves are full of wrong views and bad behavior and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, so to, you know, to work on ourselves. And, uh, and when we know how hard it is and how much time and energy it changes to change, in, in, uh, how much time and energy it takes to change ourselves, then we will know, you know, that others will also change gradually, you know, and to help foster that change and encourage that change in them. When we are clear, when we are not being judgmental with them, if we have judgment, if we have an agenda about how they should be and we're going to change them into that and get rid of their bad behavior that's making them sick and making them hurt, you know, do all these things. When we have that attitude, you know, forget about helping. Yeah, it, it, it's very difficult. Because what we say and our whole feeling, our whole body language is judgment, I, you know, and, and, uh, control. And people, sentient beings, by and large, do not respond well to being judged and controlled. Yeah. Some of them may go along with it if they're attached to reputation, too, if they're a people pleaser. Yeah. But going along with something for those motivations does not mean that they've internalized uh, whatever change, you know, that, that we're seeking to, for them to have. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really a thing of skill that starts with our, our own attitude. And I think we've all had enough experience, I don't know about you, but I have, of seeing, wanting someone so much to change because I know they have so much potential and they can do well, or wanting someone to change because they have so, they're self-destructing the way they are, and I, it's so horrible to see them do that. And then acting out, I've, you know, have you acted out of that kind of stuff? I've done, acted out of that plenty of times. And I've seen the results plenty of times. And the results are not at all what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. In fact, mostly I've pushed people away. Yeah. And so I have taken to writing letters of apology to those people that I have pushed away through my having an agenda of what I think they should be. And, you know, that impedes my own spiritual aspirations. That's not what I want to do. Okay, so 
as usual, it all comes back to motivation and it all comes back to our mind. So the last uh, few verses, 74, verse 74, is talking about our being receptive to other people's unasked-for advice and not just throwing it out because uh, we didn't ask for it and it hurts our ego, but listening to it, seeing if there is if there's anything in it that is true, and if there is appreciating that and acting on it to, you know, change our attitude or our behavior. And so that's that's really good advice, you know. And the last line, at all times, I should be the student of everyone. I should be receptive to what people say and learn whatever I can. Yeah. From and we learn we can learn different things from different situations. Okay. Um if you've ever been in a restaurant with somebody who uh ordered some food and it came out and it was undercooked or too cooked or too spicy or not spicy enough. And they call the waiter or waitress over and start speaking in a loud tone of voice. Please take this food back. It, I ordered this and you gave me that and I want it this way and not that way. Have you ever been in a situation with people in a restaurant like that? Okay. So you kind of want to crawl under the table and say, no, I'm not uh, dining with these people. Um, but <laughs> what the thing is in those circumstances to see when I make a fuss over a small thing, this is what I look like. Yeah. This person is showing me my own behavior in living technicolor. Now, I may not behave that way in a restaurant because I don't like the food, but there are other situations in which I, you know, make my opinions known and scold somebody publicly and na 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 na. And this is exactly what I look like. Yeah. And so learn from that and learn, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to make the waiter and waitress feel bad, and I don't want to make the people I'm with <laughs> embarrassed, you know? So whatever the situations are where I tend to act like that, I've got to be aware of them and stop myself and refrain from that in order to, to really be a benefit to other people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are so many situations that we can learn from. Instead of just being critical and judgmental, to say, this is what I look like, you know, when I act in this way. Okay. 
So however the outrageous the situation is, and however you right now try not to be like that, we all have the potential to be like that. Okay? So if, whether you're looking at a politician who is just completely lying through their nose, or, I don't know, do you lie through your nose? <laughs> you lie through your teeth? Huh? Some people lie through everything. Yeah. Some people, yeah, you lie through everything. Or you see people and, you know, their, their whole goal is uh, just, you know, their own career. And so they will lie to get reelected or to stay in their job or to advance in their own job over somebody else. And, you know, we look at it and go, ugh, you know, how can they be like that? And it's so harmful to them and the other people and even the whole country when people act like that. And then, you know, we shouldn't get arrogant and say, well, I don't destroy the country through my lies. But look at the situations where we fudge and we lie. And maybe we don't say the words through the mouth, but remember those, those two mental factors, pretension and deceit? Pretending to have good qualities we don't have, deceit, pretending not to have the bad qualities we do have. I do plenty of lying through pretension and deceit. And it does come out of my mouth, my teeth, my nose, everywhere, uh, from time to time. Yeah. So I have to be careful about my speech and how I fudge to make things look different, just a little bit different than how they actually are just a little bit more favorable to me, just a little bit more realistic towards the people I don't like. Yeah. So I have to, to look at myself when I do that, you know. Where do I do that? Okay, and then see, you know, if I can see how damaging that behavior is in other people, then it's going to be equally damaging when I do it. Yeah. And so, work on that part of myself. Mm -hmm. Or if you have the tendency, yeah, as many of us do, to just, I'm upset and people don't understand me, and I am closing the door. And you, you know, I've turned into Ice Cube. Yeah, I think that's some rap guy or somebody, you know? But I am giving you the cold treatment because you criticize me and you don't understand me and I'm trying to do things that benefit you and you don't believe me and 
Yeah. How many of you do that? Yeah. What's it called? Uh, sulking? <laughs> yeah, sulking. Yeah. And then we watch other people when they sulk. And instead of getting mad at them, yeah, say, this is how I look when I sulk. You know? All of a sudden, the room seems to have aircon on. <laughs> I'm cold, and, you know, everything else is cold. Because the vibe is going, and the cold vibe is going out there. Okay? So, okay, when if I feel misunderstood, if I feel undervalued, yeah, I have to get over that. It doesn't mean nobody likes me. It doesn't mean nobody respects me. It just means, basically, I have an ego, and I want everybody to know that what I say and what I advise is true. And that is, if I'm saying it out of compassion, it's one thing. Of course I'm saying this advice out of compassion. Why else would I say it? These people just don't know, and I'm giving them information that they need, and I'm giving them advice that they need. Of course I'm saying it out of compassion. And they just don't listen to me, and they don't value me. I'm just not going to talk to them. Okay. So, yeah, that's how I look when I see somebody else sulking. That's what, what I'm contributing to the energy in the world, too, when I sulk. Yeah? It's the cold vibe of anger. Yeah? We've all radiated it, haven't we? Yeah. And they have to change their attitude. Hmm. Yeah. When are they going to come up with a pill that other people can take that will make them change their attitude? And not just change their attitude. They have to change their attitude to the attitude I want them to have, not just any old attitude. Okay. Because I know, and I'm right. Yeah. So, you know, this is what, this is what I look like when I'm like that. You know? This person is showing me, in living technicolor, what I look like. And so I need to work on that. And I need to also have some compassion for that person, too. There's a lot in verse 74. Okay. Verse 75. I should say, well done to all those who speak Dharma well or who do anything well, for that matter. 
And I sh- if I see someone doing good, I should praise them and be well pleased. So when we see somebody doing something virtuous, point that out to them. When we see somebody being kind, point that out. When we see somebody handling a situation in a really skillful way, point that out. You know, instead of being jealous. And to point out the good that we see in other people. And when you give yourself the assignment that to to make praising others part of your practice or pointing out the good qualities of others as part of your practice and say to yourself, I have to do it at least once a day, yeah, then you find when you do that, your own mind is so much happier. Yeah? Have you seen that? When when you make pointing out others' good qualities, you know, or even if they just did some simple thing that you appreciate, yeah, to point that out, our own mind gets happy. Yeah? We're free from the judgment. And also, when you point that out to somebody, they smile at us. And we feel good when people smile at us, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. We're contributing just, you know, some good energy to somebody else's life. And that's something to feel feel good about. And 76, I should discreetly talk about the good qualities of others and repeat those that others recount. If my own good qualities are spoken about, I should just know and be aware that I have them. Okay, so I should discreetly talk about the good qualities of others. So when we see good qualities, not only point them out to the person, you know, but praise them to other people. Point. You're not praising the individual. You're pointing out the quality, you know, like look how so-and-so handled that situation or look at this, look at that, okay? And, and so to talk about the good qualities of others, again, that makes our own mind so happy. And it, it takes us out of the jealous mind that wants to be the best one. Yeah. And just accept, I am not the best one. And that's perfectly okay. And I'm, you know, I appreciate other people's good qualities. I do not have to be the best one all the time. I do not have to be acknowledged all the time. Okay. So talking, you know, discreetly talking about the good qualities of others is is very good in that respect. Notice the word discreetly. Okay. We don't want to become, you know, oh, this person is so wonderful. I remember being at a teaching once. His Holiness, Dalai Lama, was teaching. And in the break time, I was talking to some nuns from uh, a different organization. 
And their teacher was a bit controversial, but not to them. And they were saying, oh, our teacher's so wonderful. We're sure that he's actually at least on the path of seeing, and he does this, and he does that, and just all this kind of extraordinary. And, and it, like, well, I'm okay, I'm glad you feel that way. I didn't have the same opinion. I'll keep my mouth shut. But, uh, but I just thought, I hope none of my, the people who study with me ever talk that way about me. I wouldn't want anybody to go off and like, you know, you know, so discreetly if you praise people's qualities. Okay. I'm not saying you should praise mine, but anybody in general, and don't, don't make a big show of it. Yeah. Trying to convert somebody to, you know, yeah. And then the second line, and repeat the good qualities that others have recounted. So when you hear so-and-so praise, you know, when, you, when person A praises person B to you, yeah, it's often very nice to go back to person B and say, oh, I heard, you know, a, person A said this about you. And I just thought, you know, you should know. Or even we don't say person A said this, person A praised you. We could just say, I heard from somebody that you said this, and uh, or you did this, and, you know, I want to chime in because I think what you did or what you said was really nice. Okay? So what you do is you pass the 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 good comments on that you've heard from other people to the person who uh, they, you know, who they were made towards. Uh, and that just can help in many ways encouraging people. You know? And especially if you have kids, yeah, oh, you know, so-and-so told me that, uh, you, you know, you were visiting their house and you were so polite and so kind or you picked up after yourself and I really appreciate that or, you know, what it is to tell children and, and adults to the specific behaviors that they did that you are praising them for or that you heard somebody else praise them for. Because that really gives somebody a lot of information about what specifically uh, is is useful, you know, what they did. Instead of with a kid, oh, you're a good girl, you're a good boy. That doesn't, the kid doesn't know, well, what did I do? Yeah, what did I do? Don't, you know, because they did a lot of things. <laughs> so it's it's good to let them know specific behavior. And if my own good qualities are spoken about, I should just know I have them and be aware that I have them. And that's it. Instead of, oh, they 
thank you so much. You praise me. Now I believe in myself. Please go tell everybody else how wonderful I am. That's so good. And would you write it down? Because I want to put it on my refrigerator so it reminds me of how much people think I'm so good at things. This is so wonderful. And, you know, I have more good qualities, not only that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, um, yeah, bragging is, is you know, not something good. Um, I, I heard a story, no, maybe I saw this, I can't remember if I heard it or I saw it, but... Of His Holiness's brother, Nari Rinpoche, who's a real character, you know, and he just speaks his mind straight. And um, <laughs> the story where somebody, uh, where he said some, to somebody that he had been talking to for a while, you know, uh, have you taken up music? And the other person said, no, why? Why are you asking me? And I remember she said, because you really are tooting your own horn very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just spectacular. <laughs> yeah. So... So that's a good example of, with respect, I should gratefully accept unsought-for words that are of benefit. You know, I hope whoever he said that to, you know, learned something from. So, you know, if other people please us, yes, I know I have good quality. I have good qualities. That doesn't mean I'm the best. It doesn't mean I'm Buddha. You know, it doesn't mean the whole world needs to know. It's just, you know, I'm glad I was able to help somebody else. That's what you should think, is I'm glad I was able to help somebody else. Yeah. That's one way to handle it. Another one is to think that the Buddha's in your heart. Or if you do self-generation practice, you're the deity. And the praise is directed towards the Buddha or towards the deity, not towards you as some samsaric being. And when I first started giving Dharma talks, you know, people would come and say, Oh, thank you. That was so great. And I never, and I would go, Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. Don't like this. And then somebody said to me, Um, you know, when, when you say, oh, no, 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 it's like you're, somebody's giving you a gift and you're giving it back, you know. They, they want to say something nice and then you're saying, oh, no, I don't have that. You're, like you're saying, you're stupid for praising me. Okay. So I asked Alex one day, you know, and I said, well, what do you do, Alex Burson, when, you know, when people praise you after you give a talk? Uh, you know, or say your talk was wonderful. And he says, I say thank you. And it's like, oh, duh, none of the wonder of my duh moments. Uh, yeah, somebody feels happy and they want to express that to you and you say thank you. And then 
they gave a gift and it's accepted. Because if we say no, 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 then they repeat it and they repeat it and they repeat it. We get to hear the praise more and more. <laughs> yeah. And if you just say thank you, you're acknowledging that they're happy and that they have a virtuous mind in, in pointing out a good quality. And you rejoice you're able to help somebody and it's over. And you, you don't need to go home and rejoice and think about, oh, yes, you know, I gave that Dharma talk and they said they liked it so much. Or, oh, I wore that, that outfit and everybody said I look so good in it. Oh, that's good. And, you know, yeah, on to the next thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I get praised for my outfit. And I get praise for my hairdo. Really? Sincerely. People, ah, uh, yeah, one time I was walking down the street and somebody said, you know, not everybody can wear their hair like that, but it looks really good on you. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> That's not why I do this. <laughs> you know? Or people often comment on how my outfit is color-coordinated and how they like it. You know, even though my shades of maroon between my Zen and my Donka and my Shemdap are all different shades of maroon and they clash. Um, you know, oh, I really like your outfit. Yeah. Nobody's asked me where I've gotten it yet, but I do like, like my outfit. Then I say, oh, I'm a Buddhist nun. This is, these are my robes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Verse 77. All deeds of others are a source. It should be all good deeds of others are the source of joy. That would be rare even if it could be bought with money. Therefore, I should be happy in finding this joy in the good things that are done by others. Okay? So, I don't know about you, but I find uh, with some people who I'm competing with, yeah, that when they're praised... It's not so much like, well, they shouldn't have that praise because I'm better. You know, that's just so outrageously jealous that that's too obvious for me to see, you know, to not see. But what I'll do is I'll somehow demean the good thing they did. You know, oh, you know, because my big thing was I didn't learn Tibetan. And, you know, my Dharma friends learn Tibetan, and I look up the row, and they look down the row now, and they all learn Tibetan. I haven't learned Tibetan, and na 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 And it's like, uh, well, their Tibetan isn't so good. Or they only know colloquial, they don't know classical. Or they only know classical, they don't know colloquial. Or I wouldn't ask them to translate for me, I don't, you know. Some, you know, the mind finds something to criticize. You know, yeah, they have that good quality, but actually they're not so good. 
Yeah. And so that, that's my personal example. To watch my mind in some way or another, yeah, people who have excelled, I want to bring them down a little notch. You know, just, <laughs> just I don't say, well, do I say it? First, I think it. Yeah. And then... Okay, towards other teachers, I don't say it because my bodhisattva vows about that. But I can say it about some other attribute they have that, mm-hmm, ho, ho. Okay, do you get what I mean? Yeah? It's like, oh, yes, they have that quality, but... Yeah, I've also got to put them down. And then what that leads to is then if they do make a mistake or if they do get sick or if they do get criticized, part of our mind goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good. And that's, when I look, that's a disgusting state of mind. When I have that mind, it's like, how can I be happy over somebody else getting criticized or put down or getting sick? This is disgusting. I don't want to be like that. Okay? And then, you know, making it a practice when, you know, to really rejoice when we hear about others' good qualities. And we may think somebody doesn't have such and such a quality that they're getting praised for. But maybe somebody else has benefited from them and sees that quality in them. So rather than me saying, you know, well, yes, but you shouldn't, you know, yeah, somebody's a really good cook, but I, you should know the time when they, you know, burnt the spaghetti. Um, you know, instead of finding something to criticize, to just, again, train the mind to rejoice yeah, in the good work of others. That doesn't mean that we cover up things that are nasty and don't talk about them. Okay, things where there are grievous, 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 yeah, grievous, uh, you know, wrongdoings. They have to be talked about. They have to be discussed. Okay, we don't sweep them under the rug. We don't pretend they don't exist. Yeah, we have to talk about them. But we can talk about problems and misdeeds and, you know, that kind of stuff without having a judgmental mind and without putting everything that person has done into uh, the general conclusion of they're a horrible human being. Okay? So... I wondered a lot about this in in cases where 
I've heard things or seen things uh, by other teachers that are, I don't think, so appropriate behavior. Yeah. And, or that go against the precepts or whatever. Um, and I ask Eshi Sonam Rinchen, you know, what do I do in those situations if, if somebody comes to me and says, uh, oh, I just started going to this Dharma group with such and such a teacher, and it's really nice. What do I say to them? Yeah. Or I'm thinking of going to, to this class. What do you, what do you think of it? And I've particularly heard, you know, bad things. Then what do I do? Because they always say, you know, you don't want to create disharmony between a student and a disciple. Yeah, I mean, between a teacher and a, and a student, uh, you know, the, the lama and the disciple. You don't want to do that. Yeah, so, so what do you do when you hear about things going on in such a, such a group that you think are un, really unhealthy or unethical. Yeah. And, uh, Geshe Sonarinchen was, he was always so good with advice. You know, he gave such good advice. Um, and he said, if it's somebody who's already established a relationship with that person, and they have faith, and they're doing that practice, and that practice is helping them or whatever, you know, just keep your mouth closed. Yeah. And he said later on, if somebody, you know, comes to realize what's going on in the group, and they come and talk to you, then you can talk with them and help them sort it out and know that they can still appreciate the good that the teacher did by also, uh, you know, His Holiness's advice, keeping a respectful distance and not continuing, you know, to receive teachings for them. But then, you know, the situation, because people often, I don't know about you, ask me, uh, write to me and say, you know, what what's a, a good Dharma center in the place where I live, or I'm going to such and such a, a center, and they list one of the ones that I've heard about, or, you know, a center in a group that I've heard about, and it's like, oh, gulp, gulp. Um, and so what I'll do is, is, I'll, is I'll say, um, you know, something like, well, you know, you might want to really uh, check out the, the teacher, check out the center, you know, don't form a relationship with the, the that person as your teacher right away. I mean, that's, I would tell to everybody, even with good teachers, you should always check them out. And then I would say, but, you know, that teacher is a bit controversial, or that group is a bit controversial. And so it's very good if you really you know, check things out and you can go on the internet and look how, look at how the disciples are, the students are, because if you become part of that group, you will, you know, become like those people. And, uh, and then, you know, kind of just be wise and check things out and leave it at that. 
I will not say, well, you know, you know what I heard about that teacher, you know what I heard about that. Don't go anywhere near them. This is terrible. No, I just, you know, say it's con- they're controversial or the group is controversial. You should explore and learn about it. And then leave it to them to do that. Okay. Yeah. I do feel like I should just say that much rather than keeping silent because I've met too many people who have gotten involved with that teacher or that group that later come to me and say, you know, they're in recovery. Okay. Then verse 78, through this I shall suffer no losses in this life, and in future lives shall find great happiness. But the fault of disliking their good qualities will make me unhappy and miserable, and in future lives I shall find great suffering. That's a really good summary verse, okay? If we take in the advice people give us with a neutral mind and, you know, and evaluate it for ourselves. If we rejoice at people's good qualities, yeah, if we abandon judging them and speaking about their negativities so that uh, we make ourselves the best people in the world, you know, then if we abandon that kind of behavior and instead we praise other people's good qualities, then it doesn't harm us in this life at all. But our mind may say, well, yes, it does. They'll have more faith in that person than in me. They'll like that person more than they like me. They'll do business with that person instead of doing business with me. That person will have an advantage and I'll lose out if I praise them. Okay. That is an incredibly worldly attitude, isn't it? You know, of us just wanting benefit for ourselves and using other people to get that benefit. Yeah? So not because we care for anybody, but because we, we want the benefit. You know, if I criticize my, my competitor, then, you know, and, and at length... Not, you know, then I'll get the business and I'll make more money. If I criticize this other person who does this, then, you know, I'll get the position and they won't and people will respect me. And, you know, if we do that, I mean, the mind that it's coming from is a non-virtuous mind, isn't it? So by the the fault of disliking their good qualities will make me unhappy and miserable right now because we're our mind is churning out negative negativity and focusing on it and we're creating a lot of negative karma through speaking or acting like that towards somebody else so in the future we will experience suffering as a result of our present attitude or our present actions. Yeah. Whereas if we train our mind to look at people's good qualities, 
yeah, and speak about the good qualities, that doesn't mean we have to praise the person because the people are not important in this. It's the qualities that are good. And in the same way, when people praise us, it's not because we're great. It's because there happens to be a quality that at that particular moment was really helpful to somebody. So nothing to get egotistical about. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So if we point out those good qualities and rejoice in them, then we're happy now. And then we speak in a wonderful way that creates happiness and virtue in others. And then in future lives, you know, we will experience great happiness. Now, we always wonder, yeah, when people talk badly about us behind our back, what did I do to deserve that? I didn't do that to anybody. Really? You've never criticized anybody else behind their back? Really? Okay. I don't know about you, but I do it all the time. So why am I surprised when somebody talks negatively to, to my face or behind my back? I've done the same thing. In this life, I mean, definitely in previous lives, because who knows what in the world I've done then, but in this life, too, I've done that. So I'm just getting back what I've given out. You know, the boomerang effect. The wheel of sharp weapons is coming back to me. Yeah. If people uh, don't believe my words, if I'm telling the truth and, and people don't believe it, yeah, and they still think I'm lying, what's that the karmic result of? Yeah. Lying. If you've really studied, you know, those chapters about cause and effect, and if you've studied the Wheel of Sharp Weapons, yeah, if you've studied the, the Sutra of uh, the Wise and the Foolish, then, yeah, when unfortunate things happen to us, well, we don't go all nutty about it. It's just, you know... Why is that happening to me? Well, I've done something to somebody else with a bad intention. Yeah. So what is it? What they say? You made your bed, lie in it. You cooked your lunch, eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, just okay. This happened to me. And how can I learn from the situation? Not, oh, this person's so bad for criticizing me, or, oh, poor me. But look what I did. You know, what kind of behavior is this a karmic result of? And how can I prevent myself from doing that kind of behavior in the future? And how can I transform the mind that would even think of doing that kind of behavior in the future? Because if I don't do that, I'm going to act it out again and I'm going to get the same old bad result. So I'm the one who has to change in this process. Yeah. And then do the taking and giving meditation for this, you know, regarding the suffering that I'm experiencing. 
and say, as long as I'm suffering, it might as well be the suffering of all sentient beings, or at least the sentient beings who are facing the same dilemma I am, and taking, you know, taking their suffering, giving them my happiness. Yeah, and then then you cut it. You cut that from happening again if you practice this way. And this is exactly why the thought training teachings are so valuable. Yeah, so valuable. Okay, and why the teachings on karma are so important. You know, when I when I lived in Italy, okay, it wasn't the whole time was not about the the macho Italian monks, but partway through, um, Geshe Yeshitopten uh, came to Italy. Yeah, he didn't want to come. He was a meditator in the mountains above Dharamsala. Um, very private. Uh, he didn't reveal anything about his practice or his realizations or anything. But his holiness told him to come, and that's the only reason he came. So uh, we would have teachings, you know, and he would teach us. And he loved to teach about karma. And it, 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 so he would, like, teach the Lamrim teachings, and he would teach karma, and then we would go on, you know, to the middle scope, and he'd teach bodhicitta and everything like that. But every time a new person came to the teachings, or every, even somebody was there as a guest just for the day, when there was some new face in the teachings, he would start all over explaining karma. Yeah? And sometimes I'd go, Geshe-la, how about teaching to the majority of the people? In, you know, this is my thought. How about teaching the majority of the people in, in, in the class right now? It's just one new person. You know, we want to hear the rest of the text. And, you know, I didn't say this, of course, but I thought it. You know, and like, I've heard this teaching about karma. You know, but I sat and I listened. Now I thank Eshila for teaching about karma again and again and again, because he hammered it into us, you know, again and again. Yeah, to the point where you could almost give the talk yourself, you know. That's what Jeffrey talks about, you know when your teacher repeats something so many times that you kind of almost can know what they're going to say, yeah, then the thing is, can we almost practice it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knowing what they're going to say, one thing, practicing it is something else. But, you know, those things where I heard something repeatedly like that, I so much appreciate now, and especially those teachings about karma. You know, because they're so fundamental to, uh, to, to living a good life and to understanding the whole way the ground and the path and the result work. I mean, because karma is just talking about causality. Yeah? And about, you know, creating the causes.
this <laughs> kind of amusing. I'm doing this con this conference right now, and um, you know, I m one of my observations is that people enter uh, people often, and you've heard me say this, want to skip over the foundation practices because we want to hear light and love and bliss and Dzogchen and Mahamudra and high class Tantra and get initiation and bliss and emptiness. And, you know, they don't want to hear about the rudimentary topics. Yeah. <laughs> and what some, what I, I heard today was somebody say, yeah, there's people who, who come into Vajrayana and they want to skip the sadhana and go directly to Dzogchen. And I'm going, you know, because this person was, yeah, they, they want to skip the, the, you know, kind of like the, the, the foundation stuff, like doing the sadhana and go directly, you know, to Dzogchen. I'm going, foundation stuff? The sadhana is so difficult. You know, really doing it properly with the right view, is not easy. So I was kind of chuckling to myself, but of course I didn't chuckle out loud <laughs> and offend somebody. But, you know, it was just interesting. People's different views, you know, and what happens. Anyway, okay. Then verse 79. When talking, I should speak from my heart on what is relevant making the meaning clear and the speech pleasing. I should not speak out of desire or hatred, but in gentle tones and in moderation. I think we could spend a year on this verse. <laughs> so I will start it, and I'm sure we will continue it. Okay? So I should speak from my heart. Yeah, we should say what is true, what we really feel, what we mean. We shouldn't speak just to get a good reputation or make other people like us. But speaking from our heart does not mean we have to say everything we feel or say everything we think, because sometimes our mind is full of rubbish, and we're feeling rubbish. And so speaking from our heart, you know, does not mean, I am so mad at so-and-so because they did this and that, and I'm just telling you from my heart what I feel. <laughs> no, okay. It means from our good heart, yeah? Sometimes we may have to bring up things that were disturbing to us, or things that were painful to us. But when we do so, we need to own that emotion ourselves and not criticize the other person. Okay? So we might need to say, you know, somebody made such and such a comment, you know, about this and that, and... You know, it was, it really kind of, it hit a sensitive point in me. And I acknowledge that, you know, I was a bit, I felt tender or vulnerable about that. Yeah. That's all. We don't say, they made me, you know, cry, they hurt my feelings. No. 
No, I felt hurt. And, and so, uh, you know, we can express that when it's appropriate, when we need to talk to somebody about, you know, somebody, there was an event that happened and we're reacting all of, you know, not all of our buttons, some of our buttons, even one of our buttons get, got pushed really big. You know, yes, sometimes we need to go and talk about it with somebody. Yeah. But we talk about it, you know, from the heart, owning our own feelings without saying, they did this to me. They made me feel this. Yeah. And sometimes that's really hard. Yeah. To say what the feelings are, because it can so easily be rewarded. Yeah. We say, I felt disrespected, i.e., they don't respect me. Okay. Or, I felt judged. Actually, judged is not a feeling. This is something, uh, you know, Rosenberg is, is so good at discriminating thoughts from feelings. No, I thought they were judging me, but judged is not a feeling. Yeah. In the similar way as disrespect is not a feeling. It's what I thought they were doing. And of course, my thoughts need to be questioned because I didn't ask the person, are you disrespecting me? You know, are you judging me? I just assumed that the motivation I was imputing on them was the correct one. Okay. So lots of times we'll say, I feel X, Y, Z. But it's what actually, it's code for blaming the other person. And it's hard to find the right word for hat. You know, because when I say, I felt judged, you all know what I mean. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, if I say I felt judged, you know what I mean. What word would you use to describe that feeling that wasn't code for they were judging me? How would you describe that feeling? Mm -hmm. Marshall has a list of words. It's, it's this one of the situations where we need to go back and look at the list. I felt sad or insecure. Ah, I felt insecure. Yeah. For me, anyway, that's probably what it would be. Not, I felt judged. I felt insecure. Or embarrassed. Yeah, I felt embarrassed. I felt disappointed in myself. Yeah. But to really try and figure out what the feeling was instead of making it something they made me feel or 
with something that is actually my thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the document is called Distinguishing Feelings from Interpretations. Ah, yeah. Where is it online? What do you Google? I have it in my... I, we, we got yeah. it handed out here. Okay, you can send it around. See if you can find it online somewhere, because other people may want to know what it is, too. Okay, uh, oh, we need to stop. Time is up. Okay, so we will come back to verse 79 later. There's a lot in that verse. (laughs) You know, every two words you could give a whole, you know, discourse on.